0: Revelation is the only book in the entire Bible that promises the person who studies its chapters a blessing. So the most confusing book in the entire Bible offers you a blessing. And maybe the blessing is a reward for all the hard study you have to do to kind of understand what it's talking about. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, I got to tell you. I gotta tell you, not all messages on the end times are happy clappy sermons. You know what I mean? I mean, you know the ones where you just leave and you're excited. I'm, I'm hoping that this can be the case today. But somebody told me not too long ago, Chris, I like it when you preach, and I said, Oh, do you? Well, why? And I, because I was flattered. And she said, uh, She said, Well, you know, when you preach, you always bring a warm message. You know, it's not too hot. I guess I don't talk about hell enough. I I don't know, but. Uh, I will tell you this, and this is one of the reasons, if you're curious, why are we talking about the end times? Well, in Acts 20 and 27, we learned that we do not cower from sharing all that God has put in his word. So that means whether I like what it says, whether I want to live by what it says, it is what it is. The Bible is the Bible. It is God's word. And it's, you know, we can't just take what we like and throw out what we don't like. It's not like a buffet. I mean, what it says is what it says, and that's just the way it is. So uh, the truth of the matter is studying the end times and studying the book of Revelation can be scary. Can we agree on that before we get started today? It can be a little scary. Let's talk about dragons and beasts and monsters and all these crazy things. I mean, it can be scary. But before we get into today, I do want to tell you that for the believer in Jesus Christ, there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. Pastor Jeff talked about it last week, and if you, if you missed the first message in this series, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Go back, find it online, find it on Facebook, YouTube, or sccview.net, and watch the first message. Because what he talks about is when Jesus first comes. Jesus calls the church away in what we call the rapture. He calls the church away. And today, we're going to talk about what happens a little bit later than that. But before we do that, I just want to let you know you know, being from Georgia, growing up in the South, I feel that it's appropriate that uh, I should let you know that uh, I'm going to share with you a fishing story. Is that, good? is that good? We got 12 fishermen in the room. All right. All right. So I'm going to tell you a fishing story, but it's not going to be the fish story where every time I tell it, it gets bigger. Okay? Today's message, believe it or not, is actually a fishing story. That's going to make a lot more sense later, but, uh, you know, Jesus calls us to be fishers of men and we'll get into that. But first I want to tell you a little story. There was a couple of guys that went fishing. There was a couple of guys that went fishing and it was on this lake where nobody ever caught anything. I mean, it was considered like a dead lake. Nobody caught any fish. Didn't matter what they did. Well, these two guys come in and they'd been doing it. uh, Well, this one guy had been taking people out and every time he took somebody out, he came back with just a boatload of fish, literally a boatload of fish. And so, I don't know if you know what a game warden is. Hopefully, nobody in this room's ever had any run ins with one because y'all are law abiding citizens. But a game warden is kind of like a police officer, park ranger for game, for people who hunt, people who fish, things of that nature, protecting endangered species. I mean, you name it, that's what a game warden does. And make no mistake, despite what your uncle may have told you, a game warden can put you in jail. Okay? but they're, they're going out and they come in with just boatloads of fish and the game warden's standing on the dock waiting for him. He's already heard about this guy that keeps taking people out and they're coming back with all these fish. And, and he says, he says, wow, you know, every boat that's come in today, not one person caught a fish. What are you doing? And he says, well, warden, if you'll meet me here at 7.30 tomorrow morning, I'll take you fishing. And he looked over at the other guy that was in the boat and his face was white and he looked like he had seen a ghost. So the game warden didn't know what to expect, but sure enough, he shows up the next morning, 7.30, he gets in the boat with the guy. They go out in the middle of the water, not a lagoon or like a honey hole. For fishermen, y'all know what that is. Uh, They go out into the middle of the water, and the guy pulls out of his bag a stick of dynamite. He lights the dynamite, he throws it over in the water, and boom, fish everywhere. He gets a big net, and he's pulling them all in, and he's loading the boat with fish. And the game warden goes, whoa, 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 you can't do that. That's not legal. I have to take you in for that. So as calm as he could be, the guy reaches back into his bag. He pulls out a second stick of dynamite. He lights it and hands it to the game warden. And he says, warden, are you going to talk or fish? (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about a fishing story, but bear with me. That'll make a lot more sense later. Let's get right into Revelation chapter six, verses one through three. I'll start with today. I watched as the lamb, and this is John. This is uh, uh, the author of Revelation, John the Revelator. He's communicating the word of God. Uh, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I, tur- then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened, the lamb would be Jesus. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Come. Last week, Pastor Jeff answered for us, what happens when Jesus comes back? Today, we're gonna try to answer the question, what happens after Jesus comes back? So I do wanna share with you before we get too deep into everything today is there was a poll done recently and 41% of the people polled, 41% of Americans said that they believed Jesus was going to return by the year 2050. Now, before anybody writes me off as a kook or a quack, I don't know if that's true or not. I did not just say that Jesus was coming back before 2050. But I think it's very interesting to note that almost half of Americans do. Almost half of American Christians do. Did you know that one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament indicates Jesus is coming back? One out of every 30, that's a lot of verses. And the New Testament has 216 chapters, and 300 times in those chapters, it is stated, Jesus is coming back. There are 66 books in the Bible. 27 of them are found in the New Testament, and 23 of those 27 say explicitly, Jesus is coming back. I love what the, uh, the author and, and the founder of Moody Press, D.L. Moody, I love this quote by him. And he says, the devil would never want the church to see the truth concerning the coming of Christ because nothing would wake the church up sooner. Nothing would wake the church up sooner than to know and feel and realize the truth of the return of Jesus Christ. Church, if you opened up your Bible and you read Revelation 1 through 3, you will read that the church is mentioned 13 times or 19 times, 19 times, but starting with chapter four, you don't read about the church anymore until you get to the parts about heaven. It's a long way before you hear about the church again. And why? Why is that? Revelation four and one says, then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. Remember as pastor Jeff stated last week, Trumpet blows, we're all called up, the church is raptured. Then in chapter four and five, you get this amazing heavenly celebration. But chapter six is where we pick up today. Chapter six begins the story of what happens after the church is gone. And when we say church, we're not talking about Stockbridge Community Church we're not talking about any denomination. We're not talking about Catholics or, or Methodists or Presbyterians or Baptists or whatever it is that you want to call yourself. We're not talking to any of those. Okay. We're talking to people who don't have a religion, but have a legitimate real relationship with the person of Jesus Christ as savior. That is the church we're talking about today. Because after all, would you agree with me? It's not about getting people to be religious. It's about getting people in a relationship. Amen. Can we all agree on that today? Revelation 6, what happens after Jesus has come back? Number one is this, militant conquest. Coming in hot, y'all. Militant conquest. Uh, It means a military conquest, okay? The word militant, that's what that speaks to. Verse 2 says, and I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. Many people read this and they see white horse and all that, but we just talked about Jesus was speaking and then this happened, right? The lamb is opening and reading. Then these things happen. We, we, we see white horse and we immediately jump to the conclusion, well, that's gotta be Jesus. He's conquering, right? But you have to understand that for every good thing that God has said is gonna happen and God has made happen, the devil has created a counterfeit. For example, the church has been around a couple thousand years, and we speak of the goodness of God and we speak of the benefits of that. But you think about some of the other things, like even some sinful things, right? Even, even some things that can, can drive families apart and cause people uh, to, to be far from God. You think about those and they promise great benefits too. This horseman is no different. This, this rider is no different. For everything that God has created that is good for you, the enemy has created a knockoff. Jesus himself said in Matthew 23, 27, he speaks to this when he says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. And hear this part for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of of impurity. What he's saying is just because something looks nice on the outside don't mean it can't be dead on the inside. And that's what he's speaking to here. He's speaking here to to knockoffs, to counterfeits, to things that aren't what they seem. So let's go back to our verse, verse two. And I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now from reading the entire book of Revelation, if you stopped in chapter 19, we read all about Jesus and his preferred weapon is a sword. Whether it's the word of God or an actual sword, Jesus is always pictured white horse sword. Notice that this rider though, he's carrying a bow. But it didn't mention anything about arrows. He's got a bow, but no arrows. Now, I've never been bow hunting, but I would assume that if I carry a bow and no arrows, I'm not gonna be very, very good at that, am I? I mean, that makes sense. We can all agree. He's powerful but the fact that he has no ammunition for his weapon. I'm gonna tell you, church, when Jesus Christ comes back, he's not firing blanks. He's coming back to really conquer, not to kind of conquer. And that's what we see with this guy here. He's not all powerful. And at the beginning of the tribulation, that is this period of seven years we're gonna get into, um, there will be a militant conquest. A man will come on the scene, he will not be Christ, he will be the antichrist that Pastor Jeff referenced last week. He will come on the scene as a counterfeit, as a knockoff, after the church has been raptured. So you, you may say, well, I saw this, this this guy I know on Facebook said this is going to happen or, or, or this said this is going to happen. You know, we got an awful lot of social media prophets these days, and I don't know who's right and who's not right. It's not really for me to say. But what I can tell you when you ask me, is the Antichrist alive today? I can say it's possible. But if you read through the entirety of Revelation we would know that the church is still here. So the timing is not right for him to take over. So even if he is here today, you, you don't have to worry about him is what I'm trying to say. If you're saved by Jesus Christ, that's not a concern you should be walking around with and losing sleep over anyway. The timing isn't right. We're still here. But let's talk about a few of his characteristics. Letter A, he will be an intellectual genius as referenced in the book of Daniel. He will be an intellectual genius. Now listen. I don't care what side of what aisle you sit on politically, I think we can all agree that there is no intellectual genius leading anybody these days. And there hasn't been. There has not been a pure genius. Okay, Albert Einstein was never the president. I'm just saying, we have never had in our world an infallible, never incorrect political leader. But this guy will be. He, uh, letter B, he will have great speaking skills. He will be able to communicate something whether it's bad or good, he'll be able to communicate it to somebody so well that they won't have a choice but to believe him. Be a very gifted, that's referenced in Daniel 11. Daniel seven references number, uh, letter C, he will look physically strong. He's gonna be a man among men. He's gonna be the kind of guy when I see him, I'm like, what gyms he go to, I wanna go. You know what I mean? Because clearly I go all the time. I mean, if we're honest, I mean, y'all can tell. Thank you, thank you for the pity laugh. I appreciate that. Letter D, he will be a religious genius. Not only will he look the part and sound the part and think the part, he'll be able, uh, Revelation 13 and eight teaches us that he will be so smart and so gifted with, with what he's bringing to the table and to the world. Every single person alive during those days will follow him. Every single person. I want to tell you today, Jesus in his 33 years on earth did not accomplish that. This guy will have every single person bend the knee and worship him. I think we can agree that that has not happened. That has not happened. Well, how will he come on the scene? Well, the Bible speaks about Israel and I guess you could call it kind of the apple of God's eye. It's the chosen people, it's the holy land. Uh, the Bible also tells us that he who blesses Israel, I will bless and he who curses Israel, I will curse. And so Israel is mentioned an awful lot in the book of Revelation, but here's what you need to know in the Middle East, Israel's all alone. They have no allies. No, they, they have peace treaties, but if we're gonna be honest with, with one another today, a peace treaty is worth no more than the paper it's printed on. When somebody decides to go to war, amen? It's only worth what you believe it's worth and what you want it to be worth. But they have 24 enemy nations surrounding them. On all sides, they have enemies. On all sides. And according to Daniel 9, speaks of the Antichrist. It says, the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to his terrible deeds... Uh, all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. What I love about this is, yes, this person is going to be powerful. He's going to do all these things. He's going to do all these things. And just when it feels like there's no hope, he's going to get what he deserves. It's the same story we've heard throughout all of history. You know, you you hear people say, "Well, I've I've read the book, I've read the Bible, I know how it ends. We win." That's the part where we win, and that's something that should give us hope. Where it speaks about the period of seven, that's actually the Hebrew word heptad. It means seven years. It's similar to our word decade that we use for ten years. It's a unit of block measurement that they would use. And uh, what you need to know is that this it, this treaty will protect Israel from all its surrounding enemies for seven years. But after three and a half of those seven. That contract is going to get reneged. And after three and a half years of peace, he's going to come on the scene and demand that only he be worshiped moving forward. Number two, number two, what's going to happen after Jesus comes back is murderous conflicts, murderous conflicts. And you say, Chris, you're using some big words today. Well, we're talking about a big topic today. Murderous conflicts. Verse four says, and out came another horse, bright red, Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another and he was given a great sword. A great sword. Like I said earlier, for everything good that God brings, the devil has a knockoff. We see a sword start to come into play here. And remember, the Antichrist said there will be peace. I'll protect everybody. That was a lie. Notice that it's a sword, not a white horse. He's still trying to counterfeit. Now I want to tell you that Uh, not to be political, but there was a time historically where only Russia and the United States were capable of nuclear warfare. There are no less than nine that we have confirmed are ready for that level of warfare today. What that tells me is that I'm not saying it's about to happen any day now. I'm not a prophet. I can't tell you that. But what I am telling you is that at this point in history, as far as war goes, we are more primed for a higher level of war than we ever have been. At least nine do. Many Bible scholars and pastors even believe that this red horse is going to be the fulfillment of the prophecies of the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. And it's believed that European and Arab nations are going to band together during this, uh, after this three and a half years to combat Israel, to come after them and to invade and to destroy and during this time period, the Bible actually, the prophets teach uh, in the Bible, they teach that 82% of those, enemy, uh, of those enemy combatants will be destroyed. God will intervene and 82% will be gone just like that. It said, not to be gruesome, but it said in the, in the scripture that the, the, uh, there will be so many dead to bury that it'll take seven months to do it. Now you think, the Bible was written in days where they had shovels. We live in days of bulldozers and backhoes, and it will still take seven months to bury all the dead from these battles. So what's going to happen after Jesus comes back? The Antichrist will come in, three and a half years of peace, followed by three and a half years of constant war. And then number three is this, meager crops. Meager crops. Uh, We pick up with verses five and six. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages. Do not damage the oil and wine. We know from Lamentation 5 that the color black biblically, just like the color red indicates war and violence, the color black biblically represents famine and starvation. The Bible kind of color codes things so we can understand them. He carries scales in his hands and balance, which indicates food being rationed out. None of us really know what that's like. None of us know, but any of you guys remember how hard it was to find toilet paper about this time last year and hand sanitizer? And the mask that we needed to wear, I mean, you couldn't find anything that you needed. This is going to be so much worse. So much worse. Two pounds for a day's wages. Let's put that into today's context. What that is teaching us is that a man will work or a woman will work a full day to make enough to buy food for them. One day, not for their family, not for their spouse, not for their loved ones. They will be able to feed themselves for one day. Do you realize the widespread hunger that that would bring into today? In the Great Depression, 13 million people were unemployed in 1929. Industrial production was down 45%. Home building was down 80%. 5,000 banks went out of business and suicide rate was at an all-time high to that point in history. This tribulation that we're talking about today, this time of great tribulation, will make the Great Depression, the Great Recession, and the pandemic of 2020 and now into 2021 look like an Easter church picnic, y'all. It's worse than anything we can imagine. And I know this doesn't sound joyful doesn't sound joyful. It doesn't matter of fact, it sounds downright bleak. Like it, I'm, I'm speaking it up here and I believe me, I'm with you, but it is the word of God and we cannot cower away from what God's word teaches us is going to happen. We have to be honest with it. We can't, we can't take this off the buffet line and leave this there. We have got to take it. And there is hope. If you're listening, whether you're watching at home or you're here in this room, or even if you're watching at home a week from now, there is hope for the believer in Jesus. There is hope of a savior. There is hope of a rapture. There is hope of of a perfect healing in heaven. There is hope of not experiencing these things when we follow Jesus. What's going to happen after Jesus comes back? The Antichrist, war, famine, and number four, manifold carnage, manifold carnage. Verse eight says, and I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over to a fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Many people historically have called this rider death, as the scripture says. They've also said pestilence, speaking of great plagues to go along with the famine and the war and everything else. But what 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 do these words mean, manifold carnage? Well, manifold means many and various, all encompassing, everywhere you look. And carnage means the killing of many, many, many people. Everywhere you look, this is what you'll see. That's what's going to happen during this time. One fourth of all people alive during the tribulation will die from war. Millions will die from hunger and even the beasts of the earth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine man's best friend? That wagon tail is not wagging anymore. Just imagine how horrific that would be. When the beasts of the earth become so ferocious, they revert to some primitive nature and begin attacking humans. More ferocious than ever before. Number five, number five is this, martyred Christians, martyred Christians. And here's what that means. To be a martyr means to die for what you believe in, to die for a cause, to die for your faith. You know, you read books and histories about saints that died for their faith. We hear, uh, we know that after Jesus, his apostles died for what they believed in. But what is it talking about here? The martyred Christians, it's talking about those who come to Christ during this period of great tribulation. Verse 9 says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful to their testimony. So you might ask, Chris, if someone accepts Christ during the tribulation, what will it be like for them? Well, honestly, from everything I've read, it's going to cost them their life. So there are people out there that say, well, if revelation is true, I'm just going to wait until all of that starts happening and then I'll get saved then and then I'll be good. You don't want to wait. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be there and have to live through that. You know, church, I try to just let the Bible be the Bible. That's what I said at the top of today's message. What it says, I try to let be what it says. And I interpret it as best as I possibly can. But the truth is, most Christians don't really want the Bible preached. They don't really want the Bible preached the way the Bible was written. See, what most people want is ammunition to fuel their beliefs. They take a passage or two out, they rip it out of context, and they use it to say, well, this sinful thing that I'm doing is actually okay because this one verse. That's what most people want. They want affirmation of what they believe. They don't want the actual word. They don't want what God has told us. When you say something different from what somebody was taught in Sunday school as a child, they get a little ruffled in the feathers. Even though it's the Bible. Verse 10 says this, they shouted to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? They're crying out to God, how long are you gonna let this go on? Here's what this tells me, is you can say anything you want about what people do or do not know when they get to heaven. But this passage would indicate to me that they know something. At the very least, they know something about what's going on down here. Maybe you're thinking, you know, hey, look, you've took us through all of this. You've took us through all these horrible things today, Chris. Well, here's the deal all of the things we talked about today from revelation, and there's only one, it's just revelation. All of this was written by the apostle John in 90 AD. But roughly 60 years before that, Jesus predicted all of it. And you can go back and read it. I won't today, but in Matthew 24, Jesus predicted all of this. He talked about pretenders. He talked about wars, famine, disease, and even yes, martyred Christians. Jesus talked about all of this long before John wrote it. So for those that say, well, Revelation is a little hard to understand. Well, Jesus wasn't, and he was direct. And he was direct. It's going to happen just like God said it's going to happen. And it doesn't matter if I like it or you like it or anybody else likes it. I've heard it said, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That is not the case. If God says it, that settles it. doesn't matter if I believe it or not. doesn't matter if you believe it or not. If it's in the Bible and God said it, that's it. That's it. wanna share a story with you in closing today. There's a, a beautiful palatial estate in Switzerland. Beautiful. Gardens and, and hanging gardens and walking gardens that would put any botanical garden on earth to shame. this guy goes and visits, it's kind of a tourist attraction. He goes and visits and he sees a guy off in the far corner away from everybody. And he's got a manual pair of hedge clippers, nothing electric or gas powered. And he's just snipping away, pruning at the hedges. He Walks over and he talks to him. He said, you must be the gardener. And he said, yes, sir. For 20 years, I've been the gardener, 20 years. And he said, wow, that is amazing. Is the owner home? I would love to tell him how great of a job you're doing. It's It's beautiful. And he said, no, sir, in 20 years, I've only seen the owner. He's only even been here four times. He said, surely he's coming tomorrow. That's why you're working this hard. And he said, no, sir, I work this hard in case he comes back any minute. I feel like that's what the Christian life is supposed to be. We're not supposed to live like he's going to come back later. We're supposed to live like he could come back now at any minute any minute, you know, there's nothing that needs to happen. If you saw Pastor Jeff's message last week, there's nothing left stopping Jesus from coming back. There's no prophecies that need to be fulfilled. Just like the owner of that home in Switzerland, he could show up any minute, any minute. There are people in the West Auditorium right now. They're going through growth track. They're learning how to share their faith and how to serve uh, in God's church and in the community. And they're doing it so that they can go out and prevent people from being here. Okay, here is everywhere we've talked about, this great tribulation. In your program, both online and in person here today, uh, in your program, there's a catalog for Love Week. And if you don't know what that is, if you're new here, you've probably heard of Serve Saturday. Serve Saturday is once a month, but twice a year. We take over a whole week showing the goodness of God to our community. Seven different times and opportunities for you to serve. Check that out. Find what fits your schedule. There's something every single day that leads up to our Easter services. And the reason we do that, if you're wondering, Chris, why would somebody take a $5 bill and walk up to somebody at a gas station and say, here, Jesus loves you. We'd love to see you at Easter because we don't want them to be here. That's why we do what we do. Chris, why would we go out and drop dollar bills with Easter invite cards attached? Because we say, don't be here. Because we've read the end of the book. We know what happens, we know who wins, and we want them on the winning team. Those people you love, your brother, your sister, your children, we have an obligation to look at them and with everything in our heart say, don't be here. In two weeks, we're gonna fill this baptistry up to my left. And people are going to take that next step in faith. Children, grown-ups. they're going to take the next step in faith. And you can sign up to be a part of that too. And what happens when you do that? We call it an outward expression of an inward change. It's going public with your faith. It's sending pictures to grandma, grandpa, and whoever else you might know that says, look what I did because I don't want to be here. And I don't want you to be there either. Church, that's why we do what we do. The book of Revelation, it's been said, it's the greatest tool for salvation because it scares people into faith in Christ. Now, like I said earlier, this ain't about religion. It's about a relationship. And I don't know that I believe that anyone has ever been saved because they were scared. You don't get scared into a relationship. You get into a relationship because somebody cares. Somebody cares about you. If you're watching today or if you're in this room and you're saying, Chris, I don't want to be here, but I don't know that I'm going to be there. It's a, we, I, I've heard it said that it was as simple as ABC. If you want to ask Jesus to be your savior, it's as simple as ABC. You have to admit that you're a sinner. You haven't always lived perfect. You have to be, you have to believe that he died for your sins and wants to make you right with God, the father in heaven so that you're not here and see you have to commit your life to following him. And I want to encourage you to take just a moment. You can do it while we're worshiping in a second. You can do it you can do it right now. Just take just a moment. And go through that in your mind. And if you do, whether you're here or at home, if you do, please just all I ask is that you check that box so we can pray for you and maybe even send you some resources that'll help you out. Because I'm going to tell you what, in today's world being a new believer in Jesus ain't easy. If it was, everybody would do it. I started today's message by telling you today was a fishing story. I don't believe that the, revelation is this, that the revelation is this great tool to scare people or to save people. I believe it's a great tool to motivate those of us who are already believers to go out into our schools, to go out into our communities, to go into our jobs, to be a living example of what it means to follow Jesus. And, and, and good Lord, tell somebody how good Jesus is to you. Amen. Amen. I believe like D.L. Moody said, nothing's gonna wake us up sooner than to start believing that this is what it is and that the Bible means what it says. I told you that this was a fishing story. So for the believer today, you're sitting in the boat. You got a stick of dynamite. You're gonna just sit there and ramble on and talk until it blows up and all of this comes to pass. or Are you gonna fish? Are you gonna tell somebody what God's done for you? Are you? Are you excited about that? Does it excite you to know that, that all you have to do is share with somebody how good God is for you so that they don't have to be here? Does that not excite anyone in here today? So many of us right now are probably thinking about people we love. Don't give up on them. Jesus never gave up on you, and we're not going to give up on them. Would you stand? I just want to pray for you as we get into our worship time here. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for leading us to be here today to join online from all over the place. God, I pray that uh, I pray that your word is, is is has been communicated. God, I pray that it has been received. I pray that lives have been changed. I pray that Christians have been motivated to do what you called us to do from the beginning. God, I, I I'm just so excited about this. I'm almost about ready to explode myself. God, I just pray That today won't be one of those messages where we're fired up and by Wednesday we've lost it. Your word says that your word will never return void and I'm trusting you with that today, Father. I thank you for the privilege to be here and to share your word. And I pray that it was received the way that you would like it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff again. I just want to say I hope you enjoyed today's message.